Andy, just a bit longer, please do so. Either way, take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 55. It's on page 615. If you'd like to use a Bible from the church, there should be one right in front of you. Just grab that, turn to page 615. Otherwise, Isaiah 55. Thank you guys for helping us to sing to the Lord and about the Lord this morning. Oh, they, they were a bit ornery. They tried to change it up on me as to who was singing the song. It's still more believable when Brian sings the fifth verse of the second song. So, but we won't go there for now. Isaiah 55. I'm going to read the whole chapter. We'll spend most of our time in the first seven verses. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation uh, that you do not know, and a nation uh, that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel. He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high, for as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from, the, from heaven and, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, for it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy, and you shall be led forth in peace, and the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There's no word like your word. And even now as we continue to bring blessing and honor and glory and power to your name, Father, may we do so by how we receive your word. 
may you meet with us in such a way that we behold wonderful things from your word, that you would literally transform us as we see Jesus shining through this word. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to conclude our time in Isaiah this morning. This summer we have spent uh, most of our time considering Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. This wonderful song of the suffering servant, a word of prophecy written 700 years before Christ ever showed up, but it so accurately portrays who Christ is and the work that he would do uh, to rescue sinners, to make us sons and daughters of the living God, well-loved children of God. And then we looked just briefly last week at chapter 54, uh, which further unfolded and unwrapped for us the results of what the suffering servant, what Jesus would do for his believing people. And then this morning, I, I felt like I couldn't stop until I at least got to chapter 55. Lord willing, next week we'll begin the book of James. We'll start that Labor Day weekend, and that'll run us through maybe to Memorial Day weekend. But, but uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't leave us dangling without uh, taking a look at this wonderful invitation from God himself to you and I this morning. This is the words of the suffering servant himself, if you would, inviting us to come to him. And there's two things I want us to consider as we look at some of these verses this morning. First, I want to ask the question, who should come to the suffering servant? Who should come to Jesus? And then secondly, I want us to mull over how to come to the suffering servant. How do you come to Jesus? First, who should come? On the one hand, the invitation is universal. Come, everyone. Anyone and everyone are invited to turn to the suffering servant, are invited to turn to Jesus. If you're sitting here this morning and think, I, I, I know some things about Jesus, but what am I supposed to do with him? And, and am I allowed to... to to, to do that? I mean, am, am I qualified to do that? Well, the, the invitation to come to Jesus is, uh, is uh, universal, and, and yet, in a strange way, not to contradict what I just said, uh, there are a few mm, qualifications that are stated here in this universal invitation to come to the suffering servant, to come to Jesus. The first qualification is, well, you, you got to be thirsty. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Now, we're bumping into metaphors again, aren't we? Isaiah loves his metaphors. Um, and, uh, and, and on the one hand, um, the term thirst here is not uh, referring literally to uh, a physical thirst. Yesterday, I was literally thirsty. I it was a little bit warmer than I thought it was. I got there on, the, on my bike, and I only brought one water bottle, and guess what? Yesterday was a two-water bottle day. Uh, and um, I got about halfway through the ride, and uh, guess what was empty? The, the water bottle. And so 
uh, I started experiencing a massive thing called thirst. You know, well, well, that's a literal thirst. Uh, but this metaphor here, when it some says, "Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters," this is a, a, a spiritual thirst. Uh, the, the, the metaphor of thirstiness here uh, is, is meant to describe how essential a true relationship with God is for our souls. Just like you can't live physically without literal water, analogous to that is the fact that you and I really aren't living unless we're living in relationship with the God who made us. Objectively, if you don't have water after a certain amount of time, you die. Spiritually, without the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, we are we are dead spiritually. You see, life without God leaves us spiritually thirsty. Come, everyone who thirsts. On the one hand, he's making an objective statement about the fact that without water you die. On the other hand, he's He's making a, an experiential statement. And that is that you must feel and recognize your need to drink water, or otherwise you'll never see how and why it's a big deal to drink water. I felt uh, the acute need for water yesterday afternoon. Now, if I was just laying there on the sofa, flipping channels, I, I, I doubt that I would have worked up much of a thirst. I wouldn't have felt thirsty at all. And, and if I didn't feel thirsty, I wouldn't have been thinking about water. I wouldn't have been thinking about water at all. And yet, and yet we motor through lives, our lives, and, and, and we give no thought of the Lord at all. And, and yet it is his kindness when we begin to think of him, and in particular when we begin to think, what, what's going on in my life? Why am I, why am I restless? Why am I unsure? Why am I bored? Why am I feeling particularly anxious? See, those are, those are experiential indicators that our souls are thirsty. That, 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 that even as physical life without literal water leaves us feeling an acute thirst. The, 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 the challenges, the struggles, the difficulties in life and, and how it lands on our hearts and souls and we begin to feel things emotionally. And, and, and since those are kind indicators of the mercy of the Lord to, to, to awaken us to our thirsts. That is, I... I was, I was made for something more than just simply what this life can offer. This life offers me nothing that can truly quench my spiritual thirst. This life offers me nothing to quench the thirst 
of my soul. And, and so to feel that thirst, that, that, that it, to feel the angst and the emotional indicators is, a, is, an, is an, a, a wonderful kindness from the Lord, that we must feel and recognize our need for the Lord. The problem with that is, on the one hand, while it is sin and our sinfulness that creates thirstiness in us, sin also mutes the feeling, the need, the recognition of our need for the Lord. Sin blinds us. It, it, if you would, it handicaps us. It, uh, it uh, numbs our, our feelings. And in fact, what it does is it begins to suggest alternative strategies on how we could uh, supposedly, allegedly quench our thirst without coming to the Lord alone who can quench our thirst. The, 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 our, our own hearts will lie to us. And certainly the God of this world, the devil, will, will lie to us and say, Joe, come here. You look thirsty, dude. Your soul is parched. I, man, I got, I, got a, I got a whole load of something over here for you. And, and we, we could so easily be duped into thinking, yeah, that's, I, I, yeah I, I, I need me some of, some of that. Sin, sin deceives us into searching for spiritual refreshment in all the wrong places. In fact, the prophet Isaiah helps us to think about that when he says in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, he says, my people have committed two evils, two evils. Wow, what's that? You know, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. And then notice what he says about himself, the, the spring or the fountain of living waters and have dug out cisterns or wells for themselves broken cisterns uh, that cannot hold water. You see, it's, it's so interesting how the Lord intertwines this metaphor of thirstiness to our basic human condition. And that is, how do we describe our predicament in life? Well, you look thirsty to me. You look like somebody who needs water. Water that the Lord, our Creator, can only provide for our souls. And yet, and yet, sure enough, you look like somebody who's been looking for water out in that sand pit out back. You reach down in that well and you grab a handful of sand and you suck on it thinking it'll quench your thirst. That's what sin does to us. It makes us think, well, that's a good way to quench your thirst. Grab a handful of sand and suck on it. And then he says in verse 2, uh, another qualifier. In other words, the first qualification is anybody who's thirsty, anybody who feels and recognizes you're thirsty, come. Second, why do you spend, verse 2, why, uh, uh, second part of verse 1, I'm sorry, come. Uh, he, he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come and buy. Now, this is where the metaphors get mixed up here. Come and buy. You ain't got no money. Now, 
how's I supposed to come and buy something when I ain't got any money? Yeah. Uh, maybe there's a debt forgiveness uh, uh, process here. I, I'm not sure, but uh, uh, I can put it on a credit card and they can forgive my debt later. But, but in, in, the me, in the meantime, how do I, I mean, are you being cruel to me? Come and buy you who have no money. Uh, would suggest the point he's trying to make of this strange invitation. Another qualification is that to truly come to the Lord who alone can quench our thirst, you must recognize not only something of your own thirstiness, but you must realize something as well of your own poverty, your own inability, your own helplessness to obtain what your soul needs to have its thirsts quenched. I was, I'm thirsty, but I don't have the resources of what it takes to quench my thirst from the Lord himself. It stresses the reality, and it's kind of a flattening, humbling reality, and that is that you need to buy that which only God offers, and you ain't got the money to buy that. Now, what would you do in life besides put it on a card, but what would you do in life if you needed to buy something and you had no money? Would you not at some point be so humble that you would have to ask for mercy? Lord, without you, I'm thirsty. But Lord, I, I, I don't have the provision to buy what only you can give. You see, this, this, anyone can come, but to, to, but to come, you've got to feel a sense of thirst. Anyone can come, but to, but to come, you've got to realize, I, I can't afford it. Then he adds there, this verse 2, and again, the metaphor mixes here again, because he just said you ain't got no money, and and now in verse 2, he says, uh, why do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? It goes back to what I said a minute ago about the the blinding, uh, numbing effects of sin in your thirstiness, your soul search for something. This is is what I really need. I need a vacation. This is what I really need. I need a new one of these. This is what I really need. I need a new one of those, And, and if I really have a new one of those, or if I have, if I go to this place, if I, if I, then my soul will be quieted, and my soul will be at rest, and I'll be, I'll be good, uh, be good to go. The, the, our culture lies to us a thousand ways and says, "Look at here, come and buy some of this." I think I've got to have some of that, and if I have some of that, I won't be thirsty anymore. He, he points that out. He says. Uh, Man, you're spending your money on that which ain't even bread. You're you're leveraging your life for that which will in no way ever, ever satisfy. And and then he he adds another qualifier here. Going back to the second half of verse 1 again, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Uh, wait, wait a minute, our, me- our metaphors mix up again. We've been talking about buying bread and water, and now we're talking about obtaining milk and wine. Reading the book right now, on, uh, it's, uh, the stage is uh, World War II, and um, 
it's a book about the number of Italian and German POWs that were shipped to Missouri. They, they were all throughout Missouri, prisoners of war that we had captured, and, um, and we transported them all the way to the middle part of the United States. I mean, there, was, there were in other states and other regions of America as well, but, but there was a, a whole host of camps. There was one in, uh, well, if you're old enough, you know Gumbo Flats or Chesterfield Valley. So out there where all the shopping is, that used to be a German prisoner of war camp. And it was so interesting. For the most part, there were, there were very little issues. There was, there was, the prisoners were well, were well taken care of, were, were, were well fed. I would add, I don't know that our American servicemen were that well taken care of, but that's besides the point. That's a whole other matter. But, but, but the, the Italian and German POWs were well fed. Now, but when they did misbehave, they were put in quarantine and they were fed bread and water. Just Bland, basic, essential stuff. But here, you see what the Lord is saying? Now, your, your, your soul is thirsty. And on, on, the, on the one hand, uh, you, you need uh, bread and water. On, on the other hand, I want you to know that when you come to me, I don't devy up just mere bland bled, bread and water. I, I, I provide rich, deep satisfaction for your soul. I give wine and milk. I, 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 I give luxurious provisions. See, the goodness of the Lord that's built into that, it doesn't say, now, you're just, I don't give you prisoner food. I give you food that's fit for a well-loved son or daughter. That's what the Lord does for us. So see, there's some qualifications here. There's an awareness that, man, I'm, why, am I, why is my soul thirsty? Man, I, spiritually, I, I, have, I have no provision to buy what my soul needs. Uh, and then third, uh, just a wonderful conviction of, but if I come to the Lord, he will supply for me bountifully. And then after saying five times in verses 1 and 2 and 3, come, he now says um, three times here uh, in uh, verses 2 and 3, second half of verse 2, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Uh, listen, incline, hear, this is the suffering servant. This is Jesus speaking this morning. And he is saying to you, listen to me. Hear me. Give me your ear. I have what you need to quench your thirst. And, and, and you don't have what you need to purchase it. But I have supplied it. I've bought it for you. It's the whole point of chapter 52, 13 to 53, 12. I have suffered and bled and died. And in so doing, I have bought all that is needed to quench the thirst of your soul. And you know what? I come to you not just with the basic essentials of, of water and bread. I come to you with rich, soul-satisfying food of milk and wine. Jesus would say in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. 
Now, I've seen that verse ripped out of its context before, and, and uh, listening to the voice of Jesus becomes the rubric by which we figure out how to make daily decisions. And yet, in this context, that's, that is not about some sort of subjective feeling that one has that this is what Jesus told me to do today. No, in, in John chapter 10, this is a marvelous, robust, huge, important matter of the Spirit of God has opened my ears and peeled back my heart and I hear Jesus personally calling me to himself. I hear Jesus say, incline your ear and come to me. I hear Jesus say, hear that your soul may live. I hear Jesus saying to me, listen diligently to me. This is not about listening to Jesus' voice in the daily decisions that we make. This is about listening to Jesus' voice and making the decision to come to Christ. Has he said that to you? Is he talking to you? Has he directed you to turn to him? Well, that brings me to my second point quickly then. How to come to the suffering servant. What does this passage have to say? There's more that we could cover here, but let's look at a couple of things this morning that is a matter of who should come. But now, if you know that you're one of those who should come, how do you do that? Verse 6 is the, is the first aspect of how to come to Jesus. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Do you, do you hear what that is saying? As opposed to if I said to you, nah, don't worry about doing this right now. You can just do this whenever. Yeah, no, no need of, no need of like, you know, disrupting your life or anything. I mean, you can get around to this, I don't know, whenever you want to. But no, there's a sense of urgency here. Seek the Lord while he may be found. The implication is you goof off and not pay attention, and, you, and, the, and, and it may be too late to find him. Seek, uh, um, uh, call upon him while he is near. In other words, he's, he's right here, right now. This is, tomorrow's not the time to do this. Today is the time to do this. Seek him now. He's right here. Call upon him now. He's right here. He can be found right now. He's close by right now. This is not um, uh, putting it off. This is not a delay. See, how to come to Jesus, first of all, you must understand, there is a sense of urgency here. I mean, isn't that what thirst does? I'm halfway through my ride yesterday, and I'm dying of thirst. Now, a little bit of drama there. That's right. Now, Joe likes drama too, but I'm dying of thirst, and I ain't got no more water. I've gone through it all. And so the only thing I know to do is to finish the bike ride and then to get me to the quick trip as fast as I can because they have Gatorade as a fountain drink. It was, there was urgency I wouldn't say, you know, boy, I'm really thirsty, but I don't know, I can always take a drink on Monday. Well, on the one hand, it's easy to ignore Jesus, particularly if you're just left in your own devices and your own native spiritual condition. You will ignore Jesus. He will not seem urgent to you. But do you realize it's a kindness for, to you, for if, if you were to read these verses, 
and you were to feel in your own soul the same urgency that these verses are offering to us. Seek the Lord while he may be found. What does that imply? It means if I put it off to tomorrow, guess what? I may not know where he's at. Today is when he has revealed himself to you. Today is when he wants you to turn to him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Eh, I'm not really thirsty right now. I don't see the big deal about... You see, that's, that's the blinding effects of sin. Or, ah, I, got, I, got, I got resources. I can, I, can, I can buy that later. I, don't, I mean, I'm, preachers all up... All worked up this morning about nothing. I can do this some other time. Uh, Or, you know what, I'm satisfied with the the spiritual resources I have. Or, you know what, I just don't see what the big deal about the Lord is. He doesn't look very satisfying to me. See, with any of those mindsets, you don't have no urgency. It's a kindness for you to be here this morning. And perhaps in your own soul, you're thinking, I, I need the Lord right now. A second aspect of how do I come to the Lord, found in verse 7. This is not a sense of urgency as much as it's a sense of potential offense. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. You see, what the psalmist, I mean, what what Isaiah is doing at this moment is he's connecting the dots. Do you see why you've been spiritually thirsty? Because you've been wicked and unrighteous. That depletes your soul of any electrolytes. All right, bad metaphor, but... And, and, and so to, to come to Jesus, you, you've, got, you've, got to, you've got to grapple with, I, I've got to walk away from that which has been making me thirsty. That as it turns out, there's not great delight in wickedness. As it turns out, there's not great satisfaction in unrighteousness. As it turns out, the reason why I'm so thirsty is I've been living in wickedness and unrighteousness, and in the Lord's kindness, he's calling me to walk away from that so that my soul might have its thirst quenched. Now, we, all, we talk sometimes about, you know, what, what Jesus, he came to this earth and, and he meshed with sinners and he, he got in the middle of it and, and he, he, he embraced sinners and he welcomed sinners and, and all of that has its point to be made. But, but I think sometimes we forget, uh, then why was everybody so mad at Jesus and wanted to kill him? Why? Because the first thing out of his mouth in his public ministry, the most loving thing that a holy God could say to sinful people, he says it in Matthew 4. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yes, he met with sinners. Yes, he loved sinners. But he loved them so much that he would say to sinners, you're going to have to walk away from your wickedness. You're going to have to get rid of your unrighteousness. I've come to rescue you from that, not to leave you 
in that. You see, we have to be careful that we don't let our culture define to us definitions and descriptions of what love consists of and what love looks like. Jesus is love. And when he shows up, he calls people out. It's interesting. Do you see what he says? And why? And it says because, because, well, verse 8 and 9, I think, are a play off of what he says in the first part of verse 7. Do you see the parallel? Let the wicked forsake his way uh, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And then what does he say in, uh, in verse 8 and 9? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. You see, what he's doing is he's calling people to walk away from their former thoughts and their former ways and to embrace God's thoughts and God's ways. How do I come to Jesus? Well, I have to have a sense of urgency about me. How do I come to Jesus? I've got to figure out what I love most. And that, there's the clincher, because John 3 tells us the reason why people don't come to Jesus is because they love the darkness. Would you love Jesus more than your wicked ways? Would you love Jesus more than your unrighteous thoughts? Come to Jesus. Trust only in him. Realize that you've been blinded and duped. Realize that, and in fact, the reason why your soul is thirsty is because your ways are wicked and they need to be forsaken and that your thoughts are unrighteous and they need to be turned from and forsaken. You see, Jesus only heals the sick. Well, again, that's kind of a play on a metaphorical uh, variant there because on the one hand, apart from the grace of God, we are all spiritually sick and dead. And yet what he's trying to say is that experientially, we have to realize not only experientially how thirsty we are, we have to realize experientially why it is that we're thirsty because we have, we have created our own thirst by our evil ways and by our wicked thoughts. So we must acknowledge our wicked ways and our unrighteous thoughts. This is Jesus loves us enough to call us out of, uh, to acknowledge them and yet also forsake them. What does it look like to forsake something? Well, from the heart, it means that we abhor it enough that we want to turn from it. And then I'll kind of bring this to a close. A third aspect of how do we come to Jesus? Well, we have a sense of urgency. We're, 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 we're willing to absorb an offense. And then third, the second half of verse 7, and let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. See, 
It's not enough to have a sense of urgency. I got to do something now. I'm thirsty. It's not even enough to say, and you know, I, I know now why I'm thirsty, because my ways are wicked and my thoughts are, are unrighteous. And, and I don't want to drink from that well no more. All of that is fine as far as it goes. But, but you could be there. You could say, you know what? I'm tired of living in the cesspool of my own filth and wickedness. And I'm going to stop that. And yet you'll still be thirsty. Because this passage points us not just away from something, but this passage points us to someone the source of our salvation. How do I come to the suffering servant? How do I come to Jesus? So I turn to him as a person. It's not just that I know a thing or two about him. It's not just that I even am willing to say, and I believe those things are true about him, but that we've actually, in acknowledging him and acknowledging he is true, we actually turn to him. This is about a relationship, an experiential relationship. This is about turning to the one Isaiah 52 and 53 says is the one who was despised and forsaken. This is about turning to the one that says, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And yet it's about turning to him because there is a certain conviction about turning to him. There's a certain confidence about turning to him. That is, if I turn to Jesus, he won't say, get out of here, kid, you bugged me. If I turn to Jesus, I know I will find compassion in Jesus. If if I turn to Jesus, I know that all of my sins, the stockpile of my sin debt, can't be pardoned by the president, but it can be pardoned by the Savior. In fact... When Jesus himself shows up, because remember, this is still 700 years before Jesus gets here. And yet, what it tells us is that when he gets here, uh, he will call people away from their sin, and he will call people to himself. And he will do that with a profound sense of urgency. So that when Jesus finally gets here, isn't it interesting that he loves the water metaphor? He says in John 7, verses 37 to 38, if anyone thirsts, Let him come and drink. Whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. Rivers of living waters. Not a trickle, a torment. Torrent. Torment. Not torment. Torrent. You got to watch me. Or he says to the woman at the well, in the context of drinking, he reminds her there's something even more profound than physical thirst. He he says, if you know the gift, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living waters. Two verses later, three verses later, he says, everyone who drinks um, of me will never be thirsty again. Turn to Jesus. Turn to the one who will take the parchment of your soul and will quench its thirst. 
turn to the one who quite ironically, while he quenches our thirsts, he hung from the cross and said, I am thirsty. That was a punishment that he took for people like you and I. The one who, have ne who never should have been thirsty tasted our thirst. That he would rise from the dead and be the one, the only one, who can truly satisfy what our souls desire. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it invites us and yet it, it gives us the, the particulars of how to come to Jesus. And so, Father, we do pray in these moments, even as we've considered this passage, that you have been at work opening eyes, removing hearts of stone, opening ears, that we this morning would see the beautiful, thirst-satisfying Savior, Jesus Christ. And that you would incline our hearts to love Jesus even more than we love the sin that quenched our souls. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's